Well, we've completed going through every covenant we're going to go through in this series. And I feel the pressure on because the two guys have preached the last two weeks, they're like black belt preachers. And now I got to follow them. Uh, but what we want to do in the next few weeks now is wrap up the details of these covenants and put them in the context so we can understand uh, just the whole big picture of it. This morning, I want to make sure we understand the ultimate driver behind the, con behind the covenants. And what we're going to see is this. It's actually, I think I have a slide to put up there so you don't miss it. You'll hear it numerous times in the service. It's God's tenacious, faithful, radical love that is the driver of the covenants. Now we put this series in the context of the big story of the Bible. And we've been learning, uh, you know, uh, through the covenants that this really gives structure to the Bible. This helps us understand the big picture of the Bible. It helps us see the major thoroughfares through which the, the scripture goes. It's the backbone of scripture, but you could come away with this series thinking that's all it is. But the covenants are so much more than that. They are really an expression of God's love for his people. And my hope is that you don't come away from this series feeling, now I know the storyline of the Bible. Or you could even feel like this is a legal commitment that God has made, he's got to carry through. We need to understand while covenants are legal and they are binding, that the covenants we studied really in scripture are driven by love. There's two key words we've mentioned in this series that go along with the word covenant. Loving kindness and faithfulness. We see that in scripture as uh, hand in hand with the covenants. Loving kindness means this. It's God's deep rooted desire in the core of his being to pursue and bless those he's in covenant relationship with. That's what loving kindness basically means. It's that deep desire, it's that attitude of God to pursue those he's in relationship with to bless them. It's a wonderful word. And praise God that we're recipients of his loving kindness. The other word is faithfulness. That talks about the unending nature of his loving kindness. The fact that it never comes to an end. It's that idea that till death do us part. It's that part of the covenant that's supposed to give us confidence that God will never leave us or forsake us. There's other words in scripture that are synonyms with this. Words like kindness and mercy and peace steadfast loyalty and friend, but the two major ones are the fact of God's faithfulness and his loving kindness. We're gonna do a message in a few weeks that focuses solely on his loving kindness. Pastor Josh is gonna do that. I'm gonna this morning focus more on his faithfulness, which is deeply connected to his loving kindness. And I want you to know up front, this message should be an encouragement to three different kind of people. 
First of all, if you're a person who is maybe in your childhood been neglected, or maybe even as an adult, you've been abandoned by someone who was special to you, that often leaves people with the feelings that they're unloved or that they're even unlovable. If you're one of those this morning that's here, you need to know this message is for you. There's others who somehow got tripped up and they've been involved in some very deep and maybe even gross kind of sins. And they kind of feel like they're not worthy of God's love. How could God love somebody like me? How could somebody else love somebody if they knew who I really was and what I really did? Some people like that even feel like they maybe have lost their salvation because they went a step too far. If that's where you're at today, this message is for you. And then there's even some of those who are the very sensitive, conscious kind of people. They can do a little thing like this, and their conscience beats them up like this, telling them they're unworthy and I don't deserve God's love. Uh, if that's who you are, today's message is for you. And we're going to learn the truth of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, as we see it pictured in God's relationship with Israel. This, this is the passage. Whoop, excuse me. When we move things, I, uh, my eyes don't go bar that far back, so I gotta look at my notes on these scripture verses. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he can't deny himself. That's the kind of God we have. And what an encouragement that even when I am faithless, and I don't carry out my part of the bargain with God the way I should, he still remains faithful to me and his commitments to me because he cannot deny himself. He can't deny his character. He can't deny his word. He can't deny who he is. He loves us unconditionally and unprovoked. And what we're gonna see this morning in the way that God loved Israel when they were unfaithful and disobedient. And he didn't quit on them, but he continued with them because of the nature of who he is and his faithfulness to his own covenants is the same way that God responds to you and me. So I hope that today's message will meet you deeply. We're gonna look at a lot of scriptures. We're gonna hear a lot of truths. But my hope is the Spirit of God will meet you today in a way that will um, just really help you be touched by God's love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, when it's describing God's love, says this, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And we're gonna see a God this morning who bore with Israel, who endured their unfaithfulness and continued to love them. And that's what he does for you and me. So my goal this morning is just to help reinforce in your heart and pray that the Spirit of God will do a miracle in all of our hearts to see just how tenacious and faithful 
and radical God's love is for us as it was for Israel. The first way we see this is in the nature of a covenant. Uh, we, we've used the words along the way that God has joyfully bound himself. A covenant binds somebody legally to do something. But we've used the word joyfully because we'll see this morning and, uh, is that God, it's God's love and his loving kindness for us that really has driven the covenants. And so this isn't just a legal obligation that God put himself on or has to carry it out because I bound myself. God carries out his covenants because he loves us and he loves to bless us. And he used the covenant to show us this. The very fact that he is at all cost committed to be tenaciously faithful, radical in his love for Israel and his love for us. Remember the nature of a covenant? Two key words here. One thing we learned when we learned about a covenant is that it talks about the fact that a, the, the death of an animal, when they make this covenant, is to picture to them that a covenant must be cut until death, the unending nature of the covenant. But also, the death of the animal was the picture that if we break this covenant, that worthy of death for breaking it. So when God made his covenant with Abraham and he walked through the pieces by himself, two of the things he was picturing for Abraham is that I'm gonna keep this thing forever because God never dies. And second of all, that if God did break it, he'd be worthy of death. He's showing just how serious he is about being faithful to the promises he made. Turn, turn to, we're going to just look at some verses today and show you this. Turn to Leviticus 26. If you've been following us in this series, remember Leviticus 26 is one of the key chapters in the Old Testament we need to understand if we want to understand the story of the Bible. And that's when God told Israel, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I'll curse you. But if you repent, I'll restore you to blessing. And in verse 42, this is what God says he'll do if they repent. I'm in Leviticus 26, verse 42. So this is what happens when Israel repents. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. This is the Abrahamic covenant he's talking about that was reaffirmed with Isaac and Jacob. And I also will remember the land for the land will be abandoned by them and will make up for its Sabbaths while it is made desolate without them. And they, Israel, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity. Why? Because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statues. Abhorred means they despised them. They looked down upon them. They hated them. And so one thing is they rejected God's word. 
They even despised and looked down upon and hated what God had to say. But listen to what God says. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them. Nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. Did you catch what God said? You're going to reject me? You're going to reject my word? You're going to hate my word? You're going to look down upon it? But when you're in this land being disciplined for what you did, making amends for your sins, I'm not going to reject you. And I'm not going to look down and despise you because if I did, I'd break my covenant. And he goes on to say this, for I am the Lord their God. That's 2 Timothy 2.13, isn't it? They're faithless, but I'm going to remain faithful because I can't deny myself. And God says, I'm not going to break my covenant with them because I'm the Lord their God. And so just like a parent when they have to spank their children because they've been out of line, God is going to spank Israel, but God's not going to break the relationship off. We don't spank our kids to correct them and then say, we're done with you, we're casting you out, but rather like a loving parent, God continues to love Israel in spite of their rejection of him. It's a beautiful picture of God's tenacious faithfulness in spite of their disobedience. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter seven. Over a book or two, the book of Deuteronomy chapter seven. This is 40 years later. They're on the edge of entering into the land of Israel. God has been reviewing their history for them. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of earth. Now that's what we know the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant were all about that. God choosing Israel to be his people. Then he says this, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all people. But because, this is why God set his love and chose them, because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your fathers. Why did God set his love and choose them? Because he loved them, basically, period. Why did God love them? Because he loved them. I remember when I got engaged to Kim, and I remember somebody challenging me, well, why do you love her? And I really couldn't come up with a good answer. All I knew is I loved her. You know, I, I, I guess I was supposed to say because she can do this or because she's got that or she's able to do this, but for some reason, God just put it in my heart to love this woman. And so when I was chanting, then I kind of felt like, man, maybe I don't have good reason for this, or maybe, I, maybe I'm off on this. But when I read a passage like this and find out God just loves people because he loves them, 
not because they did something, not because they're bigger and better than others, not because they got all this stuff, but just because he loved them. Why did God love Israel? Because he loved them. And he swore to their forefathers to keep an oath. Now look down at verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. That's a long time. That's talking about God's tenacious faithfulness. I couldn't help, I do stuff like this. I say, well, what generation are we from Adam? So actually, uh, most studies say we're about the 104th generation since Adam. So we're not even one-tenth of what God says, how long, and this is a figure of speech to obviously show us it means a long time. God's faithfulness is unending. It's tenacious. It's radical. His love for us because he just loved us. Just because he loved us. Turn to Micah chapter 7. Now we're getting into the prophets. We're in Micah chapter 7. You probably had to look at your index how to get there. But in this chapter, he's talking about the return of the Messiah, the return of Jesus, something we're looking forward to ourselves. And he's talking about that time and what things will be like. And at the end of that, this is how he summarizes it up. He says in verse 18, who is a God like you? We're already seen he's a God who stays tenaciously faithful when his children are unfaithful and disobedient. We see that a God whose love is unprovoked and unconditional, he just loves us because he loves us. Now he comes and now he's going to talk about the way he deals with our sin in Micah 7, verses 8. Who's a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. The Hebrew word for that is loving kindness. You know why God passes over our sins? Because he delights. Deep in his heart, he has a desire to pursue his own people in order to bless them. And one of those blessings is the forgiveness of our sins. Then in verse 19, he says, he will again have compassion on us. There's Israel again talking at the end time. Once again, he's going to have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. This is what Dave shared with us. That's the new covenant. This is when the new covenant's going to take place when, when Israel's sins are forgiven. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love loving kindness to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from days of old. You know what's interesting? He swore a covenant to Abraham, didn't he? That's what you do. You swear covenants. You're bringing God into it. And God, because he could swear by no one greater, swore by himself. And what he's saying here, he's equating his covenant with Abraham with his loving kindness. 
He is saying, you know, it's just that he's using the words interchangeably here. When God made this covenant with Abraham and swore it to him, God was swearing his loving kindness. He was swearing his heart and his desire to bless Abraham and his seed. And then we go to Mary's Magnificat. When uh, she found out from the angel that the Holy Spirit had impregnated her with Jesus. In Luke 1, I have it on the screen for you. Luke 1, she said this, He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. I guess what I'm trying to help us see is, you know what? God's covenants are bathed and driven by his loving kindness, by his mercy, by his unchanging love, by his unprovoked, unconditional love, by his unfaithful, or I'm sorry, by his tenacious faithfulness and radical love is what's behind all these covenants and promises that God made. Even the fact that Israel, after 1900 years of being out of the land, is back in the land and positioned for the Lord to return, is again an example. There's no other nation in the history of the world that's been known to be out of their land for 1900 years, keep their blood clean and get back into their land. It's because God is tenaciously faithful and radical in his love to those he's promised to bless. Now Dave talked about it, we'll talk about this a little further. Now we know that we get in on the covenants through Jesus. So this isn't just about Israel because God has poured out all his love on us and all these promises because through our relationship with Jesus, we get to enter into all these promises. And so when we talk about, I'm trying to keep it fair in the context of what the Old Testament is saying, but when we bring in the New Testament, we say, guess what? We get in on these things because we once were far off according to Ephesians chapter two, but we've been brought near to the covenants through our relationship with Jesus. So what we're seeing here today is that God's love for Israel, God's love for you and me, the future hope that we have, the present blessings we're experiencing are driven because we have a God who's tenacious, faithful, and radical in his love for us. Now to prepare us for communion, I want us to turn to Ezekiel 16. It's an amazing story of God's love for Israel. And again, brothers and sisters, it's his love for you and me too. It's a beautiful picture of 2 Timothy. Even though we're faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. Ezekiel 16 starts off with this, talks about the birth of the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. And he talks, he gives, he's using this picture here of birth uh, to communicate the relationship. He says, when you were born, there was nobody there to cut your cord. There was nobody who even wanted to wash the blood off. This is a newborn baby saying, when you were first birthed as a, as a nation, 
Nobody was there to cut your cord. Nobody washed the blood off of you. Nobody salted your body to prepare you. Nobody wrapped you in clothing to swaddle you. Matter of fact, they abandoned you and threw you out in the field. So here's a nation that was abandoned and unloved. And then God says this in verse 8. Matter of fact, by the way, when they were abandoned in the field as a newborn baby, God said, he passed by them in the field, and I said, live. And they lived because they were left to die out there by themselves, but God walked by and said, live. So they lived, and now in verse 8, he says this. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. They had, the nation had grown up now to a point where they're ready to be loved. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. Now for those who know the book of Ruth and know the customs of the Jewish, that's the way of saying, I'm getting betrothed to you. I'm getting engaged. I want to marry you. I'm going to cover your nakedness and I'm going to become your protection. We're going to become, we're going to come into a relationship. That's the way of saying that. And I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord. The Lord married Judah. They became his. And then you go down to verse 13. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil so that you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor which I bestowed on you. I hope you read this this week and see God's the one that clothed them God gave them their food. God gave them jewelry. And what they're saying here is is that in a nation, they grew to a place under God's amazing, tenacious, radical, faithful love to a place that they became so beautiful that they became famous among all the nations. Look Look at these people. Look at what God's done with them. Because of God's splendor. But this is what they did. They played the harlot on God. Look at down in verse 15, the very next verse. But you trusted in your beauty and played the harlot because of your fame. And you poured out your harlotries on every passerby who might be willing. Look at down in verse 32. All these verses will be in Ezekiel 16. It's all one story. You adulterous wife. Here he is taking those who he went into a covenant relationship. says, you're an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all harlots, but you give your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from every direction. He's saying, you're worse than a harlot. You know what a harlot does? They get paid to do their business. What you're doing, and as you read it, you're going to take the very things that God gave them, they took to pay to those to come to them to go into relationship with them. Look down at verse 46. 
Now your older sister is Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom Israel. At that time, they were divided into two nations. Israel, by the way, went into uh, God's discipline in Assyria at this time and had been judged by God for their, their sins. And he said, now your older sister, Samaria, who lives north of you with her daughters, and your younger sister who lives south of you is Sodom with her. Now we know who Sodom was. Yet you have not merely walked in their ways or done according to their abominations, but as if that was too little, you acted more corruptly in all your conduct than they. Verse 51, furthermore, Samaria did not commit half of your sins, for you've multiplied your abominations more than they. Thus, you have made your sisters appear righteous by all your abominations. Would you? Now, you get in the picture, Judah, compared to Sodom and Israel, made those two cities, countries look righteous because of the depths of the sin and immorality and harlotry and unfaithfulness of what Israel went into. So God gave them into the hand of their lovers. We know that because just like the Mosaic Covenant, God said, when you do this, we're going to be judged. So we look down to verse 37 of Ezekiel 16. Therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, even all those whom you loved and all those whom you hated. So I will gather them against you from every direction and expose your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. Thus I will judge you like a woman who commits adultery or sheds blood are judged. And I will bring on you the blood of the wrath and jealousy. I will also give you into the hands of your lovers and they will tear down your shrines, demolish your high places, strip you of your clothing, take away your jewels and will leave you naked and bare. The adultery that Judah committed was giving their affections and their love and their whole life to another God. <laughs> and what he's saying here is I'm, that these very nations are going to tear all these things down. Reminds me of the book of Hosea when God told Hosea to go love and marry a harlot. He says, because my people Israel are just like that. But I love what Hosea says. What was God feeling when he was doing this? It's almost like he's an angry parent, but that's not it at all. It's like many of you parents and many of us, when we had to discipline our kids, that was a painful thing to have to do it. This is what God said in the midst of this in Hosea 11. My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. God's heart was breaking. He had to give his people over so that they can be broken by the discipline to return to him. But then we come to verse 53. Nevertheless. All this was to... This whole chapter brings us up to, chapter, to verse 53 where God is showing the deep unfaithfulness and sin of Israel, of Judah against, against him. But nevertheless, what's nevertheless? In spite of this, even though all of this has taken place, 
I will restore you. Look down at verse 55. Your sister Sodom with her daughters and Samaria with her daughters will return to their former state. And you, Judah, with your daughters will also return to your former state. In spite of all of this, God's tenacious, faithful, radical love, his loving kindness that has a heart to pursue those unconditionally, unprovoked, who he's in relationship with to bless them is gonna once again bless his people. Verse 60, nevertheless, in spite of all this disobedience, in spite of this discipline, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Verse 61, talks about the repentance. Then you'll remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both your older and younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not because of your covenant. Thus I will establish my covenant with you and you shall know that I am the Lord, so that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of humiliation when I have forgiven you for all that you have done, declares the Lord. So we here last week, that's what Dave taught, the repentance that God brings about in Israel, the restoration, the returning, the pouring out of his love upon his people. And you know, guys, I, I, this, I don't know how this ministers to you, but this ministers to me. And my hope today was this, that we would see just how amazing God's love and grace is to an unfaithful, disobedient Israel. And how faithful and amazing God's grace and love is to you and to me in spite of our performance and how tenacious and faithful and radical God's love is for all of his children. I want this to sink in for you today. As we go to community, you know, if I was Elon Musk, I would have brought a sink up with me so you can get the picture, let it sink in. Um, but you know, and there may be some of you who are like me. I got, I got to be honest with you. God's love has been a thing that hasn't penetrated my heart the way I'd like it to, for various reasons. I shared on Father's Day a couple years ago, one of those reasons. But some of you may need what I need and what I did yesterday. And you need to be radically honest with God with where you're at. And maybe you need to do what I did and write a letter to God, being honest with him about where you are with experiencing his love. I'm gonna read a portion of it to you, give a feel for what it's like. I addressed it to the triune God the Father on the throne, Jesus at the right hand of the throne, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who's in my spirit. God, I would love to, I need to, 
it would bring you glory and bless others if I experience your love for me by means of your spirit as described in Ephesians 3, so as to be filled up with all the fullness of God. I also want to experience more of what John speaks about, where you reveal more of yourself and more your Father's presence is in my life as I love you more. Mostly, I want to walk out of the confidence of John 15, where Jesus said that the same way the Father loved Jesus is the same way that Jesus loves us. You've got to let that one sink in. <laughs> the way that God the Father loved Jesus is the way that Jesus loves you and me. That is big. That is deep. But Lord, right now, this is where I stand. I believe I could teach a good lesson on God's love. I can study it, organize it, and categorize it from the Bible. I can divine the heart of love and quote uh, verses from memory about your love, but very little of your love has moved from my mind to my heart so as to make a practical difference in my life, both in the way I think and the way I feel. I think this is for four reasons. I'll spare you the four reasons. They're pretty intimate, but I got encouraged none of them would cause me to lose my job. So you think, wait a minute, what did Pat do? I wouldn't lose my ministry because of any of them, but they're things that are deeply, intimately true where I struggle with God's love and the reasons why I believe it's the case. And then I say this, because of these four things, I believe as a survival mode, my heart has grown cold and heart to your heart, hard to your love. So I just put down my head and keep plugging away, trusting in your sovereignty and your grace rather than in your love for me. Hoping someday to hear from you the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Where I go from here, I'm not totally sure. But I'm beginning with this letter where I'm seeking to be totally honest before you, Lord, and others whom you would have me share this with as a starting point for your spirit to meet me, speak to me, and work in my heart. I also plan to not only study about your love, but meditate more on your love towards me. I certainly will be praying the prayer of Ephesians 3 and trusting that the Holy Spirit supernaturally does something within me that allows me to comprehend your love, which goes beyond knowledge in a way that fills me up to all the fullness of God. Finally, I want to have more conversations with my friend Kevin about this and hope he can mentor me in this area. With love, which I know and admit is imperfect, your child, Pat Peglow. Some of you may need to more than just let today's message sink in. Some of you need to be honest with God, say, you know, look, we are so busy trying to love God better that we lose sight of how deeply God loves us. And we love him because he first loved us. You wanna love God better? Let the love of God sink deep within you. Face it head on, honestly, with God. If you're struggling with this, much like I do, with not just knowing the Bible verses and knowing the truths about it, but letting the love of God so deeply touch you that it fills you up with the fullness of God, I encourage you this morning, start with communion. Talk to Jesus. Thank him for his love for you. 
Be honest with him about how you really respond to his love or experience it. And just let his love sink in. And if you don't know Jesus, you need to know this. God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Can't get more than that. He loved you and me so much. He wants the best for us that he was willing to sacrifice his own son to pay the price of my sin and your sins on the cross so that we can come into a relationship with him, have the abundant life that he promises right now here on earth, have the spirit of God living inside of my heart and walking with me and guiding me step by step through life, filling me and uh, helping me experience God's love for me, enabling me to live a life that won't destroy myself and others, and on top of that, uh, promise me an eternity, a blessing with him. So I wanna encourage you this morning. If you're here, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're like Tommy. Maybe you've been religious. Maybe you've been trying hard. Maybe you've been praying hard. Maybe you've been going to church a lot. None of that does it, guys. It's Jesus. He took my place and your place on the cross. And Mike said it earlier. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin on the cross. He took my sin and your sin for you and me on the cross. And you know what he gives us in exchange? His righteousness. Because like Tommy said, we can never be good enough. So God is offering to you a gift this morning of the very righteousness of Jesus. So that when he looks at you, he's not looking at your performance, he's looking at Jesus and what he did. And I want to exhort you this morning, if you have never trusted Jesus before, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, who trusts in him, who relies upon him, who quits trying to do it themselves by being religious enough, moral enough, doing enough good deeds, but totally says, Lord, I can never pull this off. All I can do is trust Jesus and let him give me his righteousness. When I do that, at that moment, I'm born again. And I become an object of God's loving kindness, the kind of love that says, I pursue those I'm in relationship with in order to bless them.